And so I consider it just such a great privilege for us to host her this morning. I pray that uh, we all would be blessed, um, that y'all would leave here uh, filled with new life um, after hearing her speak. So with that being said, April, we celebrate you and we welcome you up onto the stage. As she comes up, let's give her a round of applause. Well, there's nothing like an introduction that makes you feel like you've got to live up to it somehow. So just take your expectations down like 50% and Yuli lies. She's just lies a lot. So, <laughs> um, but it is really, really good to be with you all. Um, your reputation as a church precedes you. Um, I live in Southern California and I have heard about you all for several years and um, I'm just amazed by who you are as a people and the things that you're about in this city and in this world and... So it's like, finally I get to be here with you all and realize like, you're real. You're real people, like you exist. And it's just really fun to be here for today. Um, I am excited about this, this morning, this word specifically, because it is really significant part of who I am. Um, it's really significant to what I'm about as a person, um, as a mom, as a pastor. And I wish that, like, the stage is still a weird thing for me. Like, I wish that we could just hang out and I could sit down and have coffee with each of you and hear some of your spiritual journey. I would love to hear where you have come from wherever it is that you started. Uh, for some of you, you have said yes to Jesus and it has been a long journey. Some of you are fairly new in what it means to be a person of faith um, or someone who is following Jesus. Some of you haven't said yes yet. And so you're on this quest, you're on this journey and trying to figure out like, what is this whole thing really about? But I would love to have coffee with you and to sit across the table and to hear about those milestones, hear the names of people that have influenced you, that have guided you, that have answered your questions. Um, I would love to hear about the circumstances, maybe the pain that has brought you into this faith journey and this relationship with God. Um, I would love to understand um, what is it about this person of Jesus that has drawn you and captivated you or has made you wonder what a life of faith actually looks like. Now, I'm not from um, Texas, but I lived there for a number of years. And I actually lived in Chicago for seven years as well. And I've told lots of you all in the past couple of hours, like, I think the whole world would live in Chicago if it weren't for your winters. Um, they're horrible. Um, I mean, it basically snowed just a few days ago, right? Yeah, that's dumb. It's mid-April. <laughs> um, I'm from Southern California. I live in Southern California. And so uh, I came in here on Friday. And on Friday, if you would notice, is when the weather started getting nicer. So you're welcome. I brought it with me. I love it. Um, but I love Chicago for all of the reasons except for the weather. But when I was a little girl, I lived in Dallas, Texas for a handful of years. And it was really formational kind of few years of my life and for my family. And one of the things that I loved about Texas was this phrase that they use pretty frequently. Some of you are nodding, you know. They use this phrase, y'all. And it's like the combination of you all and they just smush it together. And I actually love it when they use the, the larger phrase, all y'all. And they say it and run it together real fast. And I think that Texas likes to think that they have done everything bigger and better and original than every other place in the country. And so I think that they think that they invented it, but they didn't actually invent this phrase, all y'all. 
a man named Moses did. It's been around for thousands of years. And in the pages of scripture this morning, we're going to take a look at uh, this phrase, all y'all, and why it matters. We're going to take a look more specifically at Deuteronomy chapter 6. And this passage has become kind of a linchpin passage for me, a kind of a a running theme for me in my life, um, in my ministry. I've been in a version of ministry for about the last 20 years. I know I don't look old enough to have done this for 20 years, but I have. And it's been really insignificant to me, especially since becoming a mom, actually. Um, So I want to introduce you to my family, if that's okay, because I take them everywhere with me, even if they're not physically with me. This is my fam. Um, This is uh, so hard to see with a light. But that's my man. Uh, His name is Brian. We've been uh, married almost 17 years. He's my high school sweetheart. Yeah, I know. It's like one in a million. It happened to me. And it doesn't really happen ever again. So that's my husband. And then we have three kiddos. They all look exactly like me, don't they? And Brian. Um, That's our oldest son on the right-hand side. Gosh, it's so hard to see. Uh, That's my son Judah. He is nine and a half years old. Um, Our daughter Adise is our only girl. She's smushed in the middle. She is eight years old. She is sugar and spice and mainly spice. Um, She is everything and then some. And then our littlest is Asher. Can you see that at all? It's so, it's so light. Okay. What, have it, yeah, turn around. You can all look back there on the screen. Not that it's that much better, but there you go. You can look. Um, Asher's on the bottom, and Asher turns six tomorrow. So I am jetting out of here and getting a quick trip home so that we can go to Disneyland tomorrow and celebrate his birthday. Um, he is the baby. So obviously we adopted Judah and Adesai from Ethiopia uh, about seven and a half years ago. And then we pretty miraculously got pregnant with Asher. And uh, we got pregnant nine months after Judah and Adesai came home. And then he came seven weeks early. So if you can do the math, we went from zero to three kids in 15 months. Yeah. It wasn't funny to us. (laughs) It was a little um, overwhelming as an understatement. Um, we just try to keep people alive um, and not lose them for like the first two years of parenting. So it was, we were a hot mess. We still are a hot mess, to be honest with you. But now that they're older, it feels a little bit more normal. But it's really since becoming a mom to these little ones that this Deuteronomy passage, the story of all y'all has like transformed my life. And so we're going to take a look at this passage this morning. And the book of Deuteronomy was written by Moses. It's the last of the five books that he authored in the Old Testament. And Deuteronomy is really special because it is the last days of Moses' life. He is ending his life and ending his leadership. And it is in this chapter, in this, this book, that he wants to remind the Israelites of how far they have come and where it is that they are to go. He is reminding them that they were saved from slavery and from bondage in Egypt, and they have been led into the wilderness, and he, that God has sustained them for the last 40 years. And Moses is wanting to remind the people of their obedience as they left that tyranny in Egypt, and of their disobedience as well in the wilderness. He wants to remind them of how far they've come and where it is that God is inviting them to go in the future. So as we focus on Deuteronomy 6 this morning, um, we're going to be reminded of what God has done. And we're going to be called to what Moses was inviting the Israelites toward, but also what God is continuing to invite and call us as people, new community, 
in 2018. This passage is calling us, all of us, all y'all, into this grander story of what it looks like to embody faith and then also to pass faith on into the hands of another. So if you've got your Bibles with you or an app on your phone, you can uh, open it, swipe it. And we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 5 first, 20, verses 28 through 33, just to kind of like set the stage for where Moses is going as he reminds and as he calls the Israelites into so much more that they've got. So Deuteronomy 5 says this, The Lord heard the request you made to me, and he said, I have heard what the people said to you, and they are right. Oh, that they would always have hearts like these, that they may fear me and obey all my commands. If they did, and their descendants, uh, they and their descendants would prosper forever. Go and tell them, return to your tents. But stay, if you stand here with me, so I can give you all my commands, decrees, and regulations, you must, you must teach them to the people. So that, you can, so that they can obey them in the land I am giving them as their possession. So Moses told the people, You must carefully be careful to obey all the commands of the Lord your God, following his instructions in every detail. Stay on the path that the Lord your God has commanded you to follow. Then you will live long and prosperous lives in the land you are about to enter and to occupy. So Moses, in this chapter, in these few verses, is setting the tone. He is creating the worldview. He is drawing a framework around the people of Israel, his people, the people that he is about to leave because he's about to die. But he has led them for 40 years, and he wants to create this framework and call them to how they are to live. These commands, these decrees, these regulations, they are there for them to obey, not just because they have to follow these rules, but because these things will lead to life. They lead to goodness. They lead to joy. They lead to the fullness of who God has created us to be. And so the Lord is reminding his people through Moses of his promises to them. So Moses continues in Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 1. And this passage is, uh, rocks my world. It says this, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. These are the commands, Moses is saying, these are the commands, decrees, and the regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. You must obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy. Remember, they have been in the wilderness they have been wandering. They have been waiting for the promised land for 40 years. An entire generation has lived and died, and now they're at the precipice. They are ready to go into this land that God has promised them. And after all of this waiting, in the midst of all of this not yet, Moses says, before you go in, let's remember what God has done. Let's remember our, both our obedience and our disobedience. And let's be called into this new life that God has for us. So he says, obey this, obey them, obey Jesus in this land that you're about to enter and occupy. And you and your children and your grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey all his decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. Listen closely, Israel. Be careful to obey. 
then all will go well with you and you will have many children and the land flowing with milk and honey. It's a sign of abundance, these words of prosperity. Just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors promised you. Listen, listen, O Israel. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And you must commit yourself wholeheartedly to these commands I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This passage is known as the Shema. Can you say Shema? Do it again. Shema. Yes, you've just learned an old Hebrew word. And this word Shema is so significant. This passage, these, these set of verses was so significant to the Jewish tradition. The Shema actually means to hear. So Moses is calling them to listen. He said it twice. Listen, O Israel. Listen to these words. Hear what it is that I am trying to say. Because after all these years, all this obedience and disobedience, Moses is setting before them a long-term view of faith. He is inviting them into a longer-term vision of what their faith is to be. He's not just talking about his own faith or his people's own individual faith. He is inviting his people to, in, to enter into a long-term view of faith and what God is doing, not in their generation, but also in the generations to come. He's reminding his people that our faith is just not about ourselves. It is about the generations that are coming after us and the ones that have not yet even come yet. He is calling them and saying the success and the health of your own faith for now and for generations to come is directly connected to how you those who have wandered in the wilderness for 40 years are passing your faith into the hands of the next generation. The health and the success of your faith is not just about your faith. It is about how you pass it off into the hands of the next generation. The trajectory of the next generation and of your people as a whole is related to how well you older generations are instilling faith and preparing faith in the next generation. The life, the hope, the joy is on you to give it to the next generation. It's on you. So Moses is almost desperate, right? Like he can see the finish line of his own life. And in these last words to his people, like there is this pleading, there's this desperation. We sang about it this morning. There's this hope and this desire for his people to get it. He's calling them to something that is beyond their one and only life. He's saying, all y'all, listen closely. Listen. He loves his people. He loves what they represent and this life that they're going to finally be able to enter. And so he's asking them, begging them, pleading with them to listen to how faith is not just your own. It is about your children's children. So Moses gives a couple of very specific, like uber practical ways for how they are to go about to do this, to move forward in their calling so that faith doesn't stop in the wilderness, but faith continues into the promised land. And he says, 
First things first. In verses 5 and 6 of Deuteronomy 6, he says to the people that it begins, it starts with you. He says that you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. You must commit to wholeheartedly following after me. Faith starts with you. Now, I don't know your faith story. Again, I wish we could sit down and have coffee or tea or something and, and hear what this journey of faith has looked like for you up until now. For some of you, faith may have literally started in your family with you. You might not have had previous generations that have gone before you and have given faith to you. And so faith starts literally in your storyline with you. For some of you, you have had the privilege, the gift, the blessing of having faith that has continued before you. Like you are the recipient of this ongoing faith, the faith that has gone from generation to generation. That's my story. My mom's family, um, her maiden name was Newcomb. And um, yeah, it's a funny last name. <laughs> Newcomb. It sounds violent, but it's not. It's, I think it's German. So Newcomb was my mom's family. And I have been like the recipient of faith that has extended from generation to generation. My parents are followers of Jesus. My grandparents are followers of Jesus. Their parents were followers. And they had a long-term view of their own faith. They looked at their families and their children's children, and they prayed and they hoped that all of their children would be followers of Jesus, that they would be people of faith. So my mom is one of five. And out of those five kids, they had 15 kids. So I have like, I have a bunch of cousins. And then out of those 15 grandkids, there are, I don't even know, there's bazillions of great grandchildren on the Newcomb side. And I think in my grandma and grandpa Newcomb side of the family, just starting with my grandparents, there's 150 of us. It's ridiculous. I don't know the names of all of my cousin's uh, kiddos. There's just so many people. But the beautiful and the amazing thing about my grandma and grandpa Newcomb is that they had a long-term vision of faith. It started with them, but they imagined what it would look like for their kids and their grandkids and their great-grandkids to follow Jesus. And to this day, all of us are followers of Jesus. All of us. Five kids, 15 grandkids, umpteen great-grandkids at this point. All of us are following in the ways of Jesus, and it started before us. Faith continues on to the next generation only as long as it continues and starts with you. And Moses is saying, you cannot have shortcuts here, y'all. There are no half-heartedness. There is no restraints. It is everything that you are, all that you believe, including all of your doubts and fears. All of it is to be loved towards God. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, everything that is within you, love God with all of it. It starts with you. If all y'all is going to be a part of who we are, it starts with you. But it doesn't end with you. Moses says it might start with you, but it ends with your children's children. A long-term view. Moses says that you're to talk about this faith, this journey of following Jesus. And you're to talk about it when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. At the beginning of the day, at the end of the day, and every point in between, there's an opportunity for us to see God at work, for us to engage our faith, to live out this trust and belief that we have in Jesus in every single nook and cranny of our day. So if you have kids, um, 
or if you, somebody calls you auntie or uncle, or you love someone who is younger, Jesus is to be a part of every conversation, every interaction, every disciplinary moment. It is to be a part of every kiss and hug. Jesus is to be a part of every soccer game and piano recital, every household task. At every moment and every day, we are to be able to live and breathe this faith. As a mom, this is both incredibly overwhelming and incredibly freeing, right? Because there are all kinds of everyday ordinary moments in our life. There are, you know, it's the, the, the daily grind, like the alarm goes off and we start hitting it. We start getting ready for school and we're making the lunches and we're getting breakfast and we're getting dressed and we're making beds and we're getting out the door and hustling before we get to school in the morning. But it's in those everyday ordinary moments that there are opportunities to say, be kind to your sister. Can you let them go first? Because don't we say that the first, the last shall be first and the first shall be last? Treat others the way that you want to be treated. That's not what we do in this family. Be kind to one another. There are these everyday ordinary moments and everything that we get to do where faith gets to be passed off into the hands of our next generation. And some of the best theological conversations that we have with our kids is like in the car as we're driving to school. Or it's at night as like their heads are in the pillow and we're tucking them in and our five-year-old asks like some deep theological, theological question and all I wanna say is, baby, let's talk about it tomorrow. I'm so tired, let's go to bed. <laughs> Just go to sleep. But it's in those moments where faith continues and gets passed into the hands of the other, where they can see that it's all y'all. And the freeing part of it to me is, is that it's not just my responsibility. It's not just Brian's responsibility for us to do this with our kids. We have a village. They have aunties and uncles. They always have grandma and grandpa and our family, but they have people beyond that who they can go to. Folks that are helping to walk with them in their life. Helping them to see what walking with Jesus looks like when you're 12 years old, when you're 20 years old, when you're 50 years old. Their Gigi is in her 60s, and she's not related to us other than because she loves Jesus like we do. She's our sister. But their Gigi loves them, and they get to see what following Jesus looks like for a 60-something-year-old. It is in those everyday ordinary moments when faith continues and spiritual transformation transcends Sunday school classrooms and church on a Sunday, and it looks like Monday morning and Wednesday afternoon during homework, and it looks like Friday night when we figure out what we're going to do together, right? Faith does not end with you. It starts with you, and it ends with your children's children. In the Shema, Moses said, all y'all, when you're talking about this faith stuff, as you're living it out, you are to tie these commands to your hands and wear them on your foreheads. Now, you might look a little crazy if like tomorrow at work you had the Shema on your forehead, like taped on your way to work. But they did this back in the Old Testament. They did this thousands of years ago. It was part of their Jewish tradition. But for us, what does it look like for us to re be reminded of how far God has brought us and to be called into this life that we are intended to live? What would it look like for you to put some scripture on your desktop background in your laptop? Or for you to post um, a scripture reference or a word or a visual on the dashboard of your car? Or write a verse on the mirror in your bathroom? What would it look like for you to get a tattoo? where you would literally be imprinted 
with the words from Scripture that remind you that faith starts with you, but it ends with your children's children. The Shema reminds us that it is all y'all. Regardless of whether or not you have biological kids, it is all of us who are invited into passing off our faith into the hands of the next generation and the generation that we can't even see yet to come. That is the calling of the Shema. That is the calling of those of us who follow Jesus. A couple years ago, um, I was on staff at a church in Southern California, and um, it was a church very much like yours. It is, it was incredible, it is, not was, it is, <laughs> incredibly diverse. It was this beautiful place where people from all over the world gathered together under the name of Jesus, and we got to learn together what it looked like for us in every tribe, tongue, and nation to follow Jesus in all of our cultures, and all of our um, unique backgrounds. And we came together under the name of Jesus to learn what that looked like. And uh, it was about two years after we brought Judah and Adise home from Ethiopia. And so I was at church on a Sunday morning, and service had ended, and I was kind of bouncing between like mom and pastor mode. Um, and I needed to go pick up Judah from his class, and he was in kindergarten at the time. And so I was walking to his classroom, and there's kids everywhere, and it's just, like, filled with life and energy, right? Like, kids have, like, this radioactive energy. It, like, bounces off of everything. And I turned the corner to go into Judah's classroom, and I don't know if you've ever had the experience where you feel like you almost step into, like, a force field wall, and you step back because something profound is happening that you're walking into. But I had this experience. And as I was about to enter into Judah's classroom, I hit this force field wall, that was probably the Holy Spirit. And I saw what was taking place in that room, and I had to take a step back, and immediately, like, tears flooded my eyes. And people are walking past me and going, like, walk in the room, lady. Like, what's, there's a line behind you. Like, come on, let's go. And I, I just couldn't. I stepped back, and I looked in the room, and my son was sitting at one of those, you know, little short tables with the little tiny chairs. He's sitting at this table, and there was three students that were sitting around the table with him, three middle school students, uh, Dalen and Stephanie and Abby were sitting at the table with Judah. And they were playing some made-up game and laughing and joking around with each other. And it wasn't anything significant other than it was entirely significant because those three middle schoolers I had just been pouring myself into for the previous two years. These kids were part of a student leadership group that I had led. And every, uh, every other Wednesday night for two years, we hung out together, and I got to pour into these middle schoolers' lives. And, you know, it's one of those things where middle schoolers, like, get it right, like, inc insanely right some of the time, and then, like, ridiculously wrong a lot of the times, just like all of us. But middle schoolers have a way of showing us ourselves in really powerful ways. And so these middle schoolers, like, I believed in them, and I loved them, and they also drove me crazy. And in this moment, I got to see this investment that I had made into these three kids and how they were investing in my son. And then I looked around the room even more, and um, there's another adoptive dad in the back of the room. It's an older Caucasian man, and his daughter had been adopted from China. And she was running about the room and chasing kids and having fun, and Ashley was a picture to me of this relationship of this, her dad pouring into her, and now she's pouring into kindergartners. And then there was Cindy in the room, and Cindy was in the room with her daughter Stephanie, who was sitting at the table with my son Judah, and her other daughter Amy was in the room, and they were, again, just kind of buzzing about and talking to the kids and playing and high-fiving, and, 
in this room, in this moment, I got a picture of the Shema. I got a picture of what it looks like for all y'all to invest, to give, to pour life into the next generation. These parents had poured into their kids who were now pouring into my kid. These teenagers that I had poured myself into were pouring themselves into all these other little five-year-olds, including my son. And it was in this moment where I felt like Jesus said to me, all y'all matters. It's not just about you. It's not just about your faith. It's not even just about your kid's faith. It is about your children's children's faith. And it's about the entire village, the whole community, wrapping our arms and our minds and our hearts and our resources into the next generation and the generation that is to come that we don't even see and we don't even know yet. Because if our faith doesn't do that, it's over. It's done. It is worth it. It is worth the investment. And so this morning, new community, I want to call you and remind you as a people that all y'all matters. That how you pour your life into the next generation and the one that is to come beyond that is significant. Because faith starts with you, but it does not end with you. It ends with your children's children. And your whole community is to be about the kids and their kids' kids. This is our job. This is our role. This is our calling. So what if more of you served in kids' ministry, in student ministry? What would it look like for all of you to know the name of at least one or two or five other kids around this place? And every time you see them on a Sunday morning, you high-five them and you say, how was your week this week, Jonathan? I am so glad to see you, Sabrina. What happened this week? I've been praying for you. How does that change the trajectory and the nature of your own faith? I have learned over and over again these last 20 years that my faith is strengthened and transformed as I give my life away. I am transformed and I am changed and my faith in Jesus deepens as I give away what God has done for me into the hands of another. I am changed. My doubts become belief. My questions are answered. My weakness turns into strength as I give my life away. And I do not do it perfectly. I mean, I have three kids and they are bonkers. But I am changed as I do that. And I need all y'all to help me with my three kids because I am not good enough. Brian is not good enough. We need the community to help raise our kids. So what would it look like for you all as a church to do that? To invite kids in on your missions trips. uh, To welcome them when they enter the doorway so that they know that they are seen and they are heard here in the home, in the place of God, more than any other place. What would it look like for you to create these places of belonging for kids? It transforms not only their faith, but it does yours. So listen, church. New community. How can you be a new community for your children's children? How can you make this a place and a space where kids encounter God because they see faith at work in your own life 
and they are able to follow in your footsteps as fumbling and faltering and, you know, non-straight and linear as they might be, but it will set them on a path to love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, and with all their strength. Let me pray for you this morning. God, thank you that since the very beginning, you have been writing a story that reminds us of who you are and of what you've done and calls us to something new, that calls us forward into a way of life that is filled with the fullness of life, that is hopeful, that is joyful, that is good. And God, I pray for a new community that they would be the kinds of people where faith would start with them, but it ends with their children's children. I pray that they would remember the work that you have done in their own life. I pray that they would remember the story that you have been writing in them and that they would call themselves individually and as a community, as all y'all, into a faith that ends with their children's children. Thank you for the Shema. Thank you for the vision and the picture of how faith is to transform us and then how it is to be transformative in the lives of our children's children. God, thank you for being that kind of God that cares about it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.